Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. As always, a, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name is Ryan. I get the privilege of serving as the Connections Pastor here at Journey. We started a new series called The Way of Jesus. We're studying the book of Matthew and looking specifically at the teachings of Jesus in what are known as the Beatitudes. Message two is called Poor in Spirit. The series premise has been to learn the ways of Jesus so we can live life like Jesus as followers of Jesus. So as we jump in the message as we want to every week, we want to help activate some people in their faith. And um, Pastor Christian, as we as we start this section of the book of Matthew, chapter 5, called the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Can you can you fill in for our audience where scholars believe this sermon was given near the Sea of Galilee? Yeah, so if you go to Israel today, the Mount of Beatitudes where the where the church and the kind of the monastery are that that oversees the church and the grounds where tourists can go are just up the hill from Capernaum. Uh, which of course was the you know kind of the the ministry center of Jesus. Capernaum is about two miles west um, of Bethsaida, which was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, um, which was the fishing community. Uh, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, wrapping around to Tiberius, was the fishing community. So if you look at um, you know very very much like a like a church plant um, would happen. Uh, Jesus' ministry began in Capernaum. We know he did ministry in a home uh, where so many people came, they had to cut the roof off. Uh, eventually, uh, his ministry kind of leaked into the synagogue. There's still the outline of the first century synagogue where Jesus would have taught uh, in the ruins of Capernaum today. And you can imagine the synagogue being so full that he, you know eventually Jesus had to had to move to an to an outdoor um, tent revival. So you know all, all Jesus' ministry done there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, which was twenty thirty miles um, from Nazareth, where you know where he would have been born. Um, and would have been raised. He would have taken frequent trips down to the Sea of Galilee. It's, you know, where the market would have been that they would have got the fresh fish. And, you know, probably as, uh, as kids, he and his brothers and, um, you know, as a boy hanging out with his dad would have spent a lot of time. Um, you know, the, the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee kind of came together right at the town of Bethsaida. Uh, so it would have been a huge fishing village, both on the river and the lake where they would have come together it would have been a real fertile ground for, for people to catch a lot of fish. Um, so yeah, if you can if you can picture the teardrop, the upside down teardrop of the Sea of Galilee on a map in northern Israel, um, almost the dead northern point where it met the Jordan River, just on a hillside there uh, off the Sea of Galilee is where they commemorate the the Mount of Beatitudes today, where Jesus would have given not just the Beatitudes of the early part of Matthew five, but the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five six and seven. Do you want to tell briefly what we have had some people do right there on the uh, side there? Yeah, so every, every time we go to the Mount of Beatitudes, um, overlooking overlooking Capernaum, overlooking the the Sea of Galilee, we've we've had somebody on our trip who has memorized the Sermon on the Mount, all of Matthew five, Matthew six, and Matthew seven, and we've just asked our people there to kind of take off their headphones, to put away their Bible, just open up their hearts, open up their eyes, and listen to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount while they look and listen. And when you do that from the Mount of Beatitudes, uh, to be able to hear Jesus talk about birds, see birds, to be able to hear Jesus talk about flowers, see flowers, to be able to you know hear Jesus refu- reference so much in nature and then to see what he would have been talking about really makes it an entire uh, an entirely new um, 
spiritual and scriptural experience sitting on the Mount of Beatitudes, which is just phenomenal. And if you're a listener who'd like to go to Israel with us sometime, man, we would absolutely love to have you go on a trip to the Holy Land with us to walk where Jesus walked and study the life and the ways and the teaching of Jesus um, in in Israel. It's one of my favorite parts of the trip, and uh, I've given it a shot. I've, I've memorized all of Matthew 5 and half of 6. I've not quite done You're close. all of you're, it. I'm, you're I'm, halfway there. I'm just close. keep going. I'd have to uh, start over, I think. <laughs> you know, people have probably noticed that every one of your messages, whoever actually speaking, uh, will have a time of prayer after you know a few minutes into it where we kind of take a deep breath Say, speak to us, Lord. Where did this thought originate, and, and what is your hope each week for people? Yeah, so we taught on Samuel years ago, the prophet Samuel, probably the author of First and Second Samuel, uh, whose mother Hannah wasn't able to have children, prayed that God would give her a child, and if he did, she would give him up um, to the ministry of, of God her entire life. She did when he was weaned, probably two or three years old back then. Took him to the temple, made him a little robe every year, and let him hang out with the with the high priest. Um, he was kind of like the manager of the of the tabernacle um, back then. Um, and he, when he was young, God began to speak to him, but he didn't know how to interact with God. So one night he's sleeping, um, you know, and probably the inner in the inner sanctuary where the where the menorah and the showbread would have been. He goes to fall asleep, and the Lord calls out to him, Samuel. And he runs to Eli, who's the high priest at the time, and says, hey, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't go back to bed. He lays down again, and the Lord calls out to him, Samuel. Samuel gets up and runs to Eli, um, and Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. Get, go back to bed. It happens a third time, and Eli recognizes that God is speaking to Samuel, but Samuel has not learned to open his, his heart and his ears and his spirit to God yet. So he told Samuel, next time God calls, say, speak, Lord for your servant is listening. And we talked about how important it was to be in a posture of giving giving God permission and letting him know that you were listening. So because we believe the power of the Sunday message is in the scripture, not the speaker, um, it's in the promises of scripture, not the preacher of scripture, um, we, we ask our people just to kind of set their heart and mindset. Um, listen, now is, a, now is a time to flush the busyness of the world. And now is the time to realize it's not the guy on the stage. Now's the time to ask God to speak, to tell him you're listening, to tell him your heart is open and, and to, and, and to give him kind of a commitment before he speaks that if he speaks to you, you'll listen. You'll, you'll do what he, you'll do what he asks you to do. So it's just for us a, uh, it's a very intentional posture of saying, because the word of God is open, I want to hear from the spirit of God, the truth of God, the direction of God for my life. So, it's just a very intentional time with us to say, all right, we're getting ready to read God's word. This is God's word to you where you're at. We want you to recognize God is speaking to you. Tell him to speak. Tell him you're listening. Tell him you'll do what he tells you if he'll just make it really, really clear to you. That came from the early life of Samuel, um, who, who then became a prophet of God, a priest of God. He would anoint the king um, of Israel, uh, in David. Um, he, he became somebody who walked with God the rest of his life hearing from him because he learned to stop and say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Um, and God spoke and didn't stop speaking and continues to speak through Samuel today through his word. It's one of my favorite parts of, of Sunday, getting a chance to take that deep breath and really just say, yeah. here I am, Lord. I really yeah. am here. 
speak to my heart. And I think I, as I look around, it's evident that it's really a great moment for people as they're now engaging deeply into the message. Yeah, and, and hopefully they'll give the next 30 minutes or like in Sunday's case, the next 40 minutes of, of their attention um, and their heart and their, and their mind to Scripture to hear what God's going to say. I talked to Pastor Brandon right before the podcast here, and I told him, you know, hey, I'm scrounging, trying to put together some decent podcast <laughs> question. And he said, tell Pastor Christian, thank you for always being really good at putting some great answers to some really bad questions. Oh, no. He, <laughs> he lobs softballs. They're just easy. If you just swing, it's hard to miss. No, you, yeah, you make, you make it easy. You always have great, uh, great answers. Uh, you had us repeat the statement in your message, I cannot do what Jesus requires of me. I cannot do what Jesus requires of me. Why does this statement set us up for real dependence on Jesus? So what we'll hear over and over in the Sermon on the Mount is, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, So the the Pharisees, and you know, the, the school of the, they believe the school of the Pharisees was really founded in the Old Testament by by Ezra and the post-exilic community, a, a group of guys who were trained to study the law, to obey it, and then to teach it. But they just added so many other layers, and they got to a point where their study and their teaching made them spiritually arrogant, and they actually thought they could meet God's law through their own effort and obedience. Even the Apostle Paul would say later, when it came to all the things in the law that we set up for ourselves. I was blameless. I did them. So you had a bunch of people with that spirit. I don't need anything other than what I have because I'm blameless. Who Jesus said, not good enough. Um, the most perfect of the perfect by man-made laws. It's not good enough. And what, what he was trying to set the standard for was not a higher standard of righteousness. It was a lower standard of brokenness. Um, he was giving an unattainable as we looked at Matthew 5.48, be perfect as your heavenly father. It was like, no one can do that. And the Pharisee said, no one can do that. But, man, we're pretty close. We're, we're better than everyone else, so we don't need anything. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That is the standard. It's either perfection or brokenness. You have to claim one and back it up. Which one is it? And if those are the only two options, it's brokenness. And Jesus said, I can work with that. I can't work with perfection. I can't work with self-righteousness, meaning I, I am righteous through what I do on my own, um, you know, the, the rich young ruler, I've kind of got everything. I can't work with that. Like I, I need you to come to me with an empty spirit so that I can fill it. If you picture Jesus and this is a, I mean, such an elementary picture, but it'll make sense. If you picture Jesus like a server coming around at a restaurant, um, with a pitcher of iced tea and his iced tea is full of life and yours is full of death. He will not stop and fill your cup if it's not empty. So when we see him coming, we take the cup of us, we pour it out, we sit an empty cup on the table and say, fill that. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Not to say, I see what you have. I like what I have. I'm good. Which is what the Pharisees did. Pharisees, let us hear your teaching. Mm, we like what we got. Jesus said, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. Um, so I think it's it's important if we want to be filled with what Jesus is offering us, we have to be emptied of what currently fills us, and that's what it means to be poor in spirit, to come empty, to be filled. Your righteousness has to surpass that. It has to surpass 
the righteousness of those who are trying to get there on their own because you can't. But the minute you realize you can't get there on your own, you are closer than you've ever been to connecting with the God of the universe because the first step of realizing um, that you have a Savior is needing a Savior. And, and when you see him and realize he's offered his hand to you, now you can reach up and take it. And that's how the Sermon on the Mount begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are people who realize they need a Savior because they're going to see me. People who don't realize they need a Savior, they're going to miss it. Their hearts have been hardened. Their eyes have been blinded. Their ears have been stopped up. And we saw that in Israel in Jesus' day. I think I think we even see that a lot now in, in the Christian church. There's a lot of people trying to work their way to righteousness and carrying around a lot of self-righteousness that doesn't point people to the Savior. I want to circle back to that thought, poor in spirit, here in a moment. Um, but I wanted to also kind of to tune in. You, you talked about blessed. Uh, you give the definition of blessed in your message, right? You you quote a Greek, uh, makarios, happiness derived from an inward contentedness, unaffected by by the world of men. Then then you go on to say this: the way of Jesus is a supernatural contentedness that the world cannot understand or receive without a relationship with Jesus. So, how's this definition or this thought of blessed different than the thought where people think? hey, I'm living my best life, so I, I must be blessed by God. So if we just if we just look at the word in the context, um, right, we look at a Greek word that was used of the Greek gods. If you, if you look at the stories of the Greek gods, so many, so many of them are called tragedies, right? But you, you, have these, you have these Greek gods who are living on earth who were unaffected by earth, even, even though it was so tragic and broken, their spirit, because it was a, 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 a deified, supernatural spirit, the spirit was okay. So what Jesus was saying is not, I will offer you your best life so you can enjoy it. Although I believe the way of Jesus in our life is the best possible life to live. It's not a life that always feels blessed, but it is a life that is blessed because Jesus says, I, I will offer you a blessing that when everything in life is falling apart, which, what you can have is you can have an, an inner peace, you can have an inner strength, you can have an inner purpose, you can have an inner direction, you can have an inner stillness. Um, the blessing is the condition of your soul regardless of your circumstances, not your circumstances. And one reason that that is so good is because most often, for most people, your circumstances are not always a, a world of blessing. Uh now some people some people's are you know this the psalmist laments and job laments the wicked who seem to be living a life that seems so incredibly blessed but what we miss if we don't watch closely is that what appears to be all the exterior blessings when you go if you could go and closely look at the relational turmoil the family hardship the prescription drug use the things that were needed to keep that lifestyle and how none of it, none of it squashed the inner turmoil that so many of those people felt, you would choose the inner blessed contentment of Jesus over the outer, what appeared to be blessed life of so many other people. Um, and, and you know what? For some people, that is the plan of Jesus for their life. He's going to bless them outwardly in and inwardly. But the inner eternal blessing is the one that matters most. And there's lots of people with lots of money 
who can't in, who can't enjoy their life because their heart is not at peace with the God of the universe. They may do enjoyable things in life, but at the end of the day, at some point every 24 hours, they fall down and go to sleep, and they do not have the same inner contentedness, purpose, peace, and stillness that Jesus can offer if they're pursuing the the blessed life of external circumstances rather than the the blessed life that Jesus offers in our soul. I think that's a, a great explanation. A lot of people wonder, well, uh, I must not be blessed if I don't have all this stuff. And if I don't have, and it isn't it. It's, it's more a condition of the heart. There's no yeah. doubt. It, yeah, it's a condition of the heart. And when you look at every one of the things that Jesus says will bring you that, um, okay, blessed or poor in spirit. They can't be blessed to to be beggar poor in any area of life. Jesus said, yeah, it is. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, it's not, I don't feel happy when I'm broken and mourning over something. Jesus said, yes, you can. Blessed are the meek. Well, I don't feel happy when I give give away my strength for, you know, to someone else. Jesus said, yes, you can. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, I don't feel blessed when I, when I have a, a deep unsatisfied need. Jesus said, yeah, you do when you find that in me. You know, blessed are those who are, who are pure in heart, blessed are the people. I mean, you know, like you go through that whole list and it doesn't seem like many of those in the eyes of the world, they would say, boy, that's what I'm looking for. But Jesus says, if you're looking for me, the condition of your heart will look like this. And the blessing on your heart, when you bring the condition of poor in spirit, mourning, meekfulness, hunger, and th- when you bring all that to me, you're going to be filled with the things that I offer you in life, which are eternal. I think you partly answered this next one. You know, the message is titled Poor in Spirit. You give the definition, right? You kind of talked about that. Poor in spirit, one with no earthly resources and utter spiritual helplessness who has nothing else to, but to place their trust in God. So, you know, why, why is this attitude or state of the heart so important to experience the remainder of the Beatitudes? So I think if you if you don't come to Jesus poor in spirit, and if you don't remain in Jesus poor in spirit, Christianity is exhausting. Like if you think you have to um, earn or keep your stand your standing with God th- through your external actions and your striving and your perfections and your lack of imperfections, man, Christianity could be could be exhausting because you're you're running a race that doesn't have a finish line you have you've been given a mountain that doesn't have a peak to climb i mean the the standard is be perfect as god is perfect there's i mean there's two ways to pursue that relentlessly through failure or start with failure and receive it i mean so that like there's there's two ways there's two ways to get where God has challenged you to get in Matthew 5:48. You can relentlessly pursue it and fail, or you can humbly receive it by admitting failure on the front end and succeed. So I mean, like, like, like let's look at those two options. You are called to win a race that doesn't have a finish line. You have two options. You can start that race. You can run your hardest, or... You can choose to receive a medal for the race that someone else has run, and you don't have to run the race at all. However, that direction in life, you get to walk, and now like you get to enjoy it because you're not looking at the finish line. You're enjoying the journey 
with Jesus who called, who called you to walk alongside with him. You're not striving for the finish line. You're striving for the relationship with the one who's, who's already run. You've already got the medal around your neck. Like you've received the reward of Jesus righteousness. Now you get to spend time in relationship rather than relentless pursuit of something, of something that you can't achieve. So I, I think it's just, it's, it's so important. One, it's the only, it's the only way to Jesus. Um, it's received so graciously through faith. And then what it does as you journey with Jesus, and instead of waking up every day and say, man, yesterday I was at mile 10, Jesus today, I'm at mile 20. I've made, I've made so many strides. I'm doing so well. Um, look at me, look at me, look at me. When Jesus is saying, yeah, but it's like the trillionth mile where you've completed the first lap of this eternal journey that has, you know, an, an infinite number of laps. Um, instead of doing that, you begin to look inward. And as you walk with Jesus, you begin to mourn your sin. But as you mourn you, your sin, you get to feel the comfort of, of his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And, you know, as you look at, hey, I can run 10 miles. A I, I can do 10 miles a day in this journey. Instead of keeping that control and power in meekness, you say, hey, I think I... Like, I've got the ability to go 10 miles a day. How do you want me to use that 10 miles? Like, how would you want me to use my energy that you have given me for you? And all of a sudden, your spirit becomes humble and meek and moldable um, in his hands. And instead of getting up every day and saying, boy, Jesus, look what I did today. You get up every day and you say, today I'm hungry and thirsty to be more like you. And you get to be fed at the, at the table that Jesus sets for you every day. And I mean... All of the spirits of the Beatitudes line you up to receive from Jesus rather to, rather than to perform for Jesus. And performing for Jesus is exhausting. One, because he's not asking for it. And two, because it's not good enough. Like Jesus never stands up and applauds your performance at the, at the end of the day when it comes to like righteousness before God. He's just saying, won't you let me pour into you? Like, you don't have to impress me. I'm not impressed with you. I know who you are, but I love you. And that's why I died for you. So follow me, receive from me. Yes, we're going to journey together, but let, let it be about me, not about what you do for me. Um, it just totally changes the game. And it's so fulfilling when you wake up and you know my only assignment today is to receive from Jesus um, rather than perform for Jesus. It just changes the game. And, and being poor in spirit is what is, is kind of the doorway that allows you to enter that season of relationship with Jesus. And for several in the audience who would have heard this, this would have gone against their pride. Oh, this, sure. This would have gone against how they believed it should be done, which kind of leads into what I felt was maybe one of the most powerful parts of your message, the prideful spirits. You talk about questioning God's standards, lowering God's standards and even changing God's standards. Why why is this such a dangerous stance to take as a Christian? Mostly because it opposes the God of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Like you're like you're you're getting in the ring to fight the God of the universe. You're not going to win that fight. I mean, I I don't know that God could have said it any clearer than he said it to Job and his buddies. Like, you're, like, you're questioning my heart. More than that, you're trying to prove how good your heart is by comparing it 
to my heart. Like that's just not when you realize who Jesus is, especially for anyone who has kids. Like think of the person in life who's hurt you the most and doesn't care and will continue to hurt you. Would you let one of your kids die so God would forgive them? Like you love, like you love them that much? Not your friends. Yeah, Paul said for a friend, someone might die. But like God proved his love to us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still opposed to God, while we were still living in rebellion to God. He, like his, his son died for us. Um, I think, I think it's dangerous. You know, one verse I didn't give that it is a great verse in this, in this area of humble searching is Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29. This says the secret things belong to God. The things that have been revealed belong to us and our children. There are a lot of great questions spiritually that I don't know the answers to. But because there is enough truth spiritually that I do know the answers to, I gotta, I gotta trust the other stuff. Um, so I know what God has said in black and white about areas and issues of life that affect me. My responsibility in those areas is to follow them and to teach my kids to follow them. You say, well, what about the hundred things that God doesn't mention? I'm just gonna have to trust him with those and I'm gonna have to teach, I'm gonna, the things that have been revealed belong to me and my kids. The secret things belong, belong to God. He does like, he didn't have to tell us anything much less 66 books of Revelation, much less 33 years of human life that ended on a cross before it came out of a tomb. Like, he, didn't, he didn't owe us anything. He gave us all of that so we could begin, begin to know him, so that we could begin to know his purpose for the world and his purpose for us, so we could begin to glorify him, so we, we could begin to love him. And at the end of the day, it's, it, I mean, it's, it, at the end of the day, it's trust. It's trust. It's, it's trust or it's pride. So like I either trust God, I believe he's a good God, I believe he's a powerful God. I don't understand this, but I don't have to understand this or it is I did I mean I I disagree with God in this area. Did God really say? Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Questioning God careful. Um you God asked me to do this, but that's it like that is really uncomfortable for me to live life that way. So I'm going to I'll just I'll make my own walls. I'll put strings in the sky and I'll just expand the boundaries of what God has given me. It makes sense to me. It still looks like what God has asked me to do. It's just the way I, I want to do what God has asked me to do. And boy, the most, you know, the most dangerous at all. And it's interesting that God said uh, most of the time you will switch gods is when you feel sorry for someone who doesn't want to follow me. And ultimately, you're making them your God. Like you're choosing, you're choosing to trust them with your soul rather than the one who created your soul. And Ryan Proverbs 9.10 says, the beginning of wisdom is, is the fear of the Lord. Like, like if there is a God, and this really is the way he's asked you to live your life and heaven and hell depend on it, and you say no, then, I mean, the, the fear is you're going to spend an eternity without God and you're going you're gonna to receive the wrath of God. Roman says it's being stored up for people who want to who want to do things their own way. I mean that like that ultimately you like um, you ask why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because you could spend your entire eternity without God. It's dangerous as a Christian if you're a sincere follower of Jesus who's who who has moved into a questioning, lowering, changing standard. 
and you're one. We talk about our growth track who's going to be saved is yet by fire. Um, it's dangerous for those Christians because you're going to send people to hell. You're going to get to heaven, but your questioning, your lowering, and your changing of God's standards is going to is going to send other people to to hell. So, trust the God of the Bible. Trust the words of the Bible. Trust the direction of the Bible. Trust it. Lean into it. Love it. Follow it. Teach others to do the same thing. And when we get to heaven, we can ask him all the questions that we have. But it's not ours to decide on his behalf where things need to be changed if he hasn't, if he hasn't said change them. It's just, he's like, he's not invited us into that conversation, nor does he need to. Appreciate your, your heart on that. I know it's, uh, it's a really, uh, challenging thing. We see a lot more of that happening today. And, and our heart is for people to understand God's word, support God's word and, and really dig into uh, God's word. Um, so we hope that as you're listening to the activate podcast, that we are challenging you to deepen your faith, to, to certainly uh, begin to figure out how to activate your life so that you can actually live closer to him and for him. Pastor Christian, thanks as always for joining us on the podcast. Love your your heart, love your your challenge, and and you digging in and, and sharing with us the wisdom that you have. And I want to thank you listening uh, wherever you're at, listening to the podcast. Uh, we uh, want to encourage you to to rate us, to encourage. Uh, we encourage you to to share it with a friend so that we uh, can be a part of helping others uh, grow in their faith as well. Be sure to tune in to our Sunday service, either online uh, or in person at either 8, 9.30, or 11. We'd love to see you. Uh, come and check us out someday uh, soon. We'd also love to hear uh, from you. If we can encourage you in any way, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.